0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Christianity, at its very, very core, has several beautiful attributes. Things like love, joy, peace, long-suffering kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And these are the things that the Apostle Paul so beautifully called the fruit of the Spirit. And not only is there the fruit of the Spirit, but then there's the gifts of the Spirit. There's all kinds of of workings of the Holy Spirit. But underpinning all of that, whether it's the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, workings of the Holy Spirit, inner lives, Underpinning all of that, there's one thing that is absolutely indispensable. And this is the ground that all of those fruits grow in. And I'm speaking about the grace of God. And without the grace of God, none of us would have ever experienced anything of the Holy Spirit. Anything of Christ, none of us would experience any of that except by the grace of God. So, what do we mean by grace? Above and beyond just simply saying, well, it's God's unmerited, undeserved favorite, which it absolutely is. But how does grace manifest itself in the world? And how does grace manifest itself in us individually? Whenever we think of grace, we need to think about it in two ways, in a general way and in a specific way theologians call this common grace and special grace. John Calvin has been attributed to him that he used the term common grace. Now whenever I say common grace then I need to try to explain what I mean by that before we talk about special grace. So general grace, specific grace, or common grace and special grace. First of all, common grace. Three things. God's providence and God's provision for all mankind. Common grace is so called because it's common to all human beings. The whole of mankind experiences it without race, regard to race or color or creed or gender. Every living creature on earth experiences the common grace of God. God made creation for the benefit of all mankind and how blessed we are to live in a world that's just fit and made for us. God created this world to suit us as human beings so that all of our needs physically, materially could all be met in this world. All of that is called God's common grace, God's blessing to all mankind I was listening to some experts talk the other night, and they were talking about the fine-tuning of the universe and how this universe is fine-tuned particularly for us to live on Earth. And, I mean, it's fine-tuned to the nth degree, whether that's gravity, whether that's the oxygen in the atmosphere, whether that's the elements in the Earth or the elements in the atmosphere. All of it is finely-tuned. And if any one of those things was just out of tune, even the least little bit then life would be very, very difficult. And if it was out out more than a little bit, life would be impossible. And so we're very blessed that God has finally tuned the whole universe in order for us to live even on this earth. In fact, even where this earth is placed on our solar system, is perfect for us. It's the perfect distance from the sun. It's the perfect distance from the moon. So we get the gravity pull of the sun, and that's wonderful for us. That keeps us in orbit. Then we get the gravity pull of the moon. That keeps our oceans flowing freely and keeps it refreshed. All of these things has been designed by God himself in order to be blessed his creation and even the experts say that within our solar system within our milky way system which is our galaxy that it's in the habitable zone if it was further into the center then we would be burned up there would be 20 suns in the sky you couldn't sleep at night if it was further out you'd be frozen it'd be like an ice ball but it's perfectly placed that's why they call it the uh, the goldilocks the Goldilocks planet because it's not too hot and it's not too cold. It's perfectly tuned for us. All of this has been done by God because of his common grace, his blessing to all mankind. Christ the creator holds everything by the word of his power. Hebrews 1, John 1, tells us this. God's gracious provision for his creatures is exhibited particularly and especially in how he sent his son to go to that cross and to die for us, to save us from our sins. And so everything in this world is geared to give you life, to sustain your life, to bless your life. In Genesis eight twenty two, you don't need to turn to these. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. In spite of climate change, climate has always been changing, but it will not cease regarding winter and summer, heat and cold, harvest and all that. Will, that will remain. That will continue and remain. Jesus said in Matthew 5:45, He makes the sun to shine on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That's common grace. God loves humanity. He loves his creation that he made, and he blesses it. So common grace is God's overarching providence and provision for all of his mankind, for all of his creatures. Psalm 145, 16. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. So God's providence, God's provision for all mankind, that's common grace. That's God just... Loving his creation. But then there's what I call God's protection. God's protection. Now let me explain what I mean by saying God's protection. Because we live in a a sinful, evil, (coughs) wicked world. And many bad things happen in a sinful world, in a fallen, broken world, don't they? Sin corrupts, injustice abounds, violence increases. However... In spite of that, if it wasn't for the restraining power of God, then we would have long since self-destructed as human beings. If it wasn't for God holding us back, then we would have self-destructed. We would have been in the abyss by now. I mean, again, just yesterday uh, I was listening a man talking about nuclear armaments, and he said at this moment there's fourteen thousand nuclear weapons stored up that we know of. That's only that's been recorded and revealed. And all of them together is enough to blow to smithereens every human being on the face of this earth. And if it wasn't for God's restraining power, we would have done that long ago. God has given mankind a means of protection, albeit an imperfect one because of our fallen state. It's called Government. (laughs) Believe it or not, it's called government. The purpose of government, the purpose of government is to provide peace and harmony and safety within a nation or a community. Now that's the ideal. That's God's ideal. But it doesn't always work out that way because people's got free will. And we know that there's many nations on this earth will do will not live this way or do that way, do God's way. They'll do the opposite. And they oppress their people and and do all kinds of evil things against their own people. But God's idea is to have government that governs righteously and properly and in a good way so that its citizens can be blessed and feel safe and feel harmony and all the rest of it. Also, Paul writes to Timothy, Pastor Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, I exhort first of all that all supplications, prayers, and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Now, I remember Paul is writing this and he's living under a totalitarian government, a totalitarian empire, Rome. And Rome was a... Rome was an empire that accepted no resistance whatsoever. No dissension was allowed. And there was no democracy in Rome. Rome ruled with an iron rod. So that's the context that Paul's writing this in. He's talking about government. The only government there was was Roman government. So he said for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, notice what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that government, if it rules correctly and properly and provides safety and protection for its citizens and blesses them, then that opens the door for the gospel to go forth. That's what he wants, for the gospel to get out there. Now, at the time of Christ and the time of the Apostle Paul, there was this thing called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Now, it was an enforced peace. If you rose up against Rome then they would rise up against you and they would put you down very quickly. It was an enforced peace. But it was a peace nonetheless. By and large, if Rome overtook a country, by and large, they allowed their, those citizens to get on with their life. They had to pay taxes. They had to pay Roman rules. But they could get on with their lives. They didn't kill everybody. But they'd get on with their lives. But the Apostle Paul here is saying that regardless even it's a totalitarian government, even if it's not a democratic government, and even if it's a bad government, he says we should pray for them. Pray for them. And that's what we should be doing for our nation today. And for every Thursday night, we pray for our nation. I know there's great prayer movements going on in Northern Ireland at the moment. They're meeting here and meeting there, all kinds of meetings. We do that every single week downstairs in this place. We pray for our nation. We pray for our community. We pray for peace to be. Now, he said... In Romans chapter 13, he goes a little bit further. In Romans chapter 13, he said, Let every soul be subject to govern authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Well, these are difficult scriptures. The authorities that be are appointed by God. You say, David, but there's some authorities that are not very good. That's right. Somebody says a nation will get the government that it deserves. And that can be true in a lot of places. Sometimes God will even use a government as a judgment against the nation. You know, in the Old Testament, when God wanted to chastise Israel, often he would get another nation to come against them as a rod against them to chastise them. And if they treated Israel really, really, really bad, then He would get a nation to chastise them. So God rules nations. So the Apostle Paul here, again in the context of a totalitarian government, he said, And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, who resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So actually... We are not to take up arms and resist a government, our government. We're not to take up arms. We can complain and we can protest, but we're not to take up arms and physically violently resist that. He says, we can't do that. Now again, think of what the situation he was in. We can't do that, he said. But what we can do, if any government tells us to do what God forbids us to do, then we can't say no, can't take up arms, but we can say no, we cannot do that. We will not accept that. That may mean us going to jail for that, but that's the way that we can resist. But listen to this. For rulers are not a, generally this is, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For these are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all are due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So he says, do that. In First Peter chapter 2, let me just read this. Uh, verse 13. Peter said, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the King. Do you remember Jesus when he was being tried before Pilate? Do you remember what Pilate said to him? Pilate said, Do you not know that I have the power to take your life? In other words, I have the power of the sword. High-up officials, not everybody had the power of the sword, but high-up officials in the Roman Empire, particularly their over regents had the power of the sword. They could make decisions on who could be executed. They were the final judge on that. So he said to Jesus, Do you not know that I have the power to kill you? Remember what Jesus said? You would have no authority over me at all, except it was given you from above. Hmm. Really? Yes. So we need to be careful, then. Yes we can vote, yes our politicians fail us, yes we have a government name only in this country for this past three years, not fulfilling duties at all, and we may complain, but we need to pray, and we pray every Thursday night downstairs for those same self-same politicians to get a grip and to get into power and do something for the good of the people, because that's what God wants, to do good to the people. But there's supposed to be a protection for people, a protection. Whenever the Romans... Isn't it interesting that God sent his son at a time when it was a totalitarian government, when that Roman Empire ruled the then known world? But, you know, because of the Pax Romana, because of the Roman peace that they built wonderful roads. They were great road builders all over the empire. They built these great roads. Some of them are still to this very day. They're still there. And they opened up these shipping lanes. And that meant when Christ came, and particularly when the church was born, and then whenever the church started to go out in missions... They would go on all these roads and all these shipping lanes that the Romans had put in and the whole world was open to them. And by the end of the first century, every major Roman city had a church. God knew exactly what he was doing and the gospel was able to go forth. Yes, there was persecution by the Romans. Yes, there was. But by and large, the gospel was able to go out to the ends of the earth. And then the third thing we're talking about common grace. The third thing is God's promptings now whenever whenever you're in a a Christian church and you talk about promptings the first thing that would come into your mind as a believer is a prompting by the Holy Spirit you know I had this feeling I had this leading I had this prompting that I had to do something or go somewhere or speak to something or say this or do that, this was a leading, a prompting. That's that's what we would generally think, that the Holy Spirit is prompting me. But this is not what I'm talking about here. Not at all. This is conscience. Conscience. God has put within every person a conscience. The consciousness of what is right and what is wrong, what is just of what is unjust, what is fair, what is unfair, what is good, what is bad. A conscience, a consciousness of that God has put within each and every one of us. And we know that we instinctively are accountable creatures. We're accountable to each other. We're accountable to the government. Uh, we're accountable to your, to your employer. Employers are accountable to some degree to their employees. So there's accountability, and we instinctively know that. Our conscience helps us to make decisions and choices that are right and proper to do the right thing. Of course, our our conscience can can be spurned. We can put down our conscience. We can dismiss our conscience. Uh, The Bible talks about having a seared conscience. In other words, you keep resisting your conscience, resist, 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 resist. there comes a point you're not even feeding it anymore. It'll be seared, And that conscience that's trying to keep you to do the right thing will stop. You'll not feel it, you'll not sense it, you'll not know it, and you'll do the wrong thing. You'll continue down the wrong path. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 24, 16, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and towards man. Conscience gives us a respect for ourselves and for others. So in spite of our fallenness, in spite of all of that, we have, through God, common grace. The ability to cooperate, the ability to facilitate, the ability to live together, to enjoy one another, to have a peaceable life. We have all of that under common grace. The goodness of God allows that. Otherwise, if we didn't have that, the whole world would be complete and utter chaos. But thankfully, we have common grace. But what is special grace? Special grace is not common grace. Special grace is found in those who have trusted Christ as their personal Saviour. Special grace. And it's relating to us as believers. Otherwise, if it's common grace, it's for everybody. But special grace is for those who trust Christ and who live for the Lord. That's special grace. The word grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And this was a word that was widely used in in the Greek culture, in the Greek world. And it originally just simply meant sweetness or attractiveness. Simply that's what it meant. Later on, as words begin to deeper meaning and more fuller meaning. Even words that you know, we use today, they change over time and become what's meant by some words today wasn't what it was meant 20 years ago. Words change. And so cars that started out meaning sweetness or attractiveness. Then it meant favor and goodwill or loving kindness. Particularly when a favor was shown by a superior to an inferior, to a king, to a subject, to a master, to a servant. In other words, it was something that was given with no thought of return. It was a favor. It was a charis. It was given as a gift, a free gift with no thought of return. Somebody doing this because I want to bless you. I want to give this to you as a free gift. And so the church then took this word charis with that meaning, thinking that God gave his only son as a free gift to us who we did not deserve him, we did not earn his his mercy, but God in his loving kindness and in his grace, his caress, gave us his only son. And so that became a great word within the early church. In fact, it's used 160 times in the New Testament. And 130 of those times, it's meant simply in that sense that this is a grace gift. This is a charis. This is God just giving out of, his, out of his love for us. That's all it is. Now Matthew and Mark, they never used the word. John used it only four times. Luke, in his gospel, he used it eight times. And in the book of Acts, which he wrote, he used it 16 times. But it's the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul used it over 100 times. And it's not hard to guess why. <laughs> Because after what he had done to the church as a prosecutor and a persecutor of the church, when the grace of God came into his life, that was such a wonderful thing. He talked about it all the time. And so the church then claimed this word as the conduct of God towards sinful men, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's just pure grace, isn't it? Didn't deserve it. But he gave it anyway. Now, allow me to quickly add what Bible scholars like to use certain terms that they use when they're speaking of special grace. Now, you know that theologians like to use big words prevenient grace, prevenient grace. By this, they mean God taking the initiative. God making it his priority to take action on the behalf of needy sinners like you and me. God anticipating and taking preventative measures to save us. This is provenient grace. Without any conscious endeavor on our part, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we had no thought of him, he already had planned to save us. ...to redeem us to himself. This is special grace. This is provenient grace. This is God taking the initiative. And the initiative came from him. We weren't out seeking for him. He sought us. He came to us first. We love him because... ...he first loved us. This is provenient... ...grace. 1 John 4, 10 and 19. In this is love. Not that we love God... But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Romans 8, 5 and 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's why Paul insists in Ephesians 2, it is by grace that you're saved through faith. None of works, none of yourself, so that none of us can boast. It is all God's special grace to us. The second word they like to use is efficacious. Efficacious grace. Grace that achieves the desired end. Grace that achieves the desired end. What God desires, He had the power to bring it about. It's efficacious. God won us by the power of his grace. He set his grace upon you and he drew you to himself. That's effective, isn't it? That's really effective. It's highly effective. That really works. It's efficacious, that means. In John 10, 27 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That's highly effective. That's efficacious grace. Amen? Amen. Paul writes the beautiful verse in Philippians 1 and 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He'll continue it. He began it. He initiated it. That was prevenient. It's efficacious. It's powerful. And then thirdly, sufficient grace. By this, they mean that grace that is more than enough. Not just enough, but more than enough. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost Hallelujah. those who come to God through him. It's more than enough. That reminds us, of course, of 2 Corinthians 12, doesn't it? Verse 9. Where Paul, praying to God to get those thorn in the flesh removed. Well, that not argue what the thorn in the flesh may be. It certainly wasn't a physical thorn in the flesh. It wasn't something jabbing into. It was a spiritual battle. But he said, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's more than enough for you, Paul. I know you don't want this. I know you're praying to get released from this. But I'm telling you, Paul, my grace is more than you need to take you through this battle. It's sufficient. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So it is. So this is sufficient grace. God has sufficient grace for all of us for all eternity. Amen. This is what he says in Ephesians 2:7. That in the ages to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. As we often said, it's going to take the ages to come, the ages of all eternity, for God to fully demonstrate all his grace that he has in Christ for you and for me. (laughs) It's, it's so marvelous, it's so big, it's so wide, it's so vast that time will not fulfill it all. Eternity, it'll take all of eternity for God to fully show all the grace that he's got stored up for you in Christ Jesus and the loving kindness of the Lord. I think that's just a wonderful, beautiful verse, isn't it? However, it would be entirely wrong of us To think of grace solely in the terms of God's gift of salvation through Christ, and it is that, and that's absolutely vital. But it's more than just God saving us and keeping us. It's more than that. You know, we often think of grace in negative terms. We say, well, it was by the grace of God that God forgave us all of my sinful life. And that's true. Or we think, well, by the grace of God, I'm going to go to the glory when I die. And that's true. But what about the here and now? What about grace today, right now, in our Christian experience? So it's more than just God saving us and getting us fit for glory. It's God today empowering us, enabling us by his grace to live this Christian life. We could not live this Christian life without the grace of God. We couldn't do it. It's not in us to do it. It's not in our flesh to do it. But by the grace of God, we do do it. Ephesians 4, 7, But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given. All the grace that you'll ever need is given by Christ. It's there for you. Every part of it. And in verse 11, that same chapter, Ephesians 4, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Everybody who stands in the office of the fivefold ministry only does so by the grace of God. That's the only reason. I can only stand here by the grace of God. What right do I have to preach to you? I have no right other than the grace of God. I have no ability to do it other than the grace of God. Yes, I could do plenty of words, but it's the grace of God helps me empowers me to do this. What has helped me over 40 years? The grace of God. Every ministry, every minister, everybody doing anything for God, it's the grace of God that helps you to do it. That's why we need to give him the glory, because it's not us. It's the grace of God in us that gives us the ability to do this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, For I am the least of the apostles, am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But... It's a big but. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. (laughs) Don't deserve to be called an apostle. Never should have been called an apostle. I persecuted the church, but by the grace of God, I am today what I am. It's only by the grace of God. Isn't that wonderful? And his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Ah. <laughs> if you didn't know Paul, that would sound to be a bit prideful. Did you hear what he just said? I, I labored more than all the apostles before me. That's a big statement, isn't it? It really is. It almost sounds as if he's being boastful, but then he qualifies that and he says, Yet not I but the grace of God, which was with me. Ah, yes, I've done a lot, but only by the grace of God. I didn't even deserve to be called a Christian, never mind an apostle, but by the grace of God, I've been able to do a lot for God's kingdom. I I love that. I love that thing that Kenneth Woost wrote, and I think Paul would agree with it. Do this and live, the law demands. But gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word God's grace does bring. It bids me fly and gives me wings. (laughs) And you thought it was Red Bull give you wings, didn't you? No, it's the grace of God that gives us the wings to fly. And to soar with him. (coughs) Ephesians 1 and 7. We're almost finished. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace and then that we spoke about the sufficiency of his grace 2 corinthians 12:9. and then there's the addition of his grace john 1:16. and of his fullness we all have received and grace for grace grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace the addition of grace this is the arithmetic of grace by the way And Peter talks about the multiplication of grace. 2 Peter 1 and 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's almost as if the the New Testament writers, they can't think of enough words to explain grace and and to laud it and to praise it. Be multiplied to you. And then Peter also talked about the manifold grace. 1 Peter 4.10. Being good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The many-sided grace of God, the multifaceted grace of God. And I've always said, if you take a cut diamond or a cut gem and you hold up to light, and all those facets, all those cuts, makes it sparkle. And so the grace of God has many sides to it. It's multifaceted. And this is why in First Peter 1 and 6, he talks about manifold temptations. So for every temptation, and there's many of them, manifold. For every temptation, every trial, there's a grace. There's a grace for that temptation. There's a grace for that trial. There's a grace for that problem. There's a grace for that need. And then he talks about the environment of his grace. 2 Peter three eighteen. but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. Grace is your grow bag. You go to B&Q, you're going to get tomatoes in your hot house. you get a grow bag and you rip it open, you stick those seeds in. That's the environment that it needs. And you know, I'm a hopeless gardener, But I've enough sense to know this, that if you get a plant, you better be careful where you plant it in your garden because if you plant it north-facing, it may die on you if it's not a north-facing plant, if it's not a hardy plant. It may like the south side where it's going to get the sun in the afternoon. So you have to make sure it's in the right environment or it won't grow, it'll die. And the environment that we grow best in is the grace of God. We need the grace of God every single day to grow spiritually. We need the grace of God. You'll never grow in legalism. Legalism will kill you. It'll kill your spiritual life. But the grace of God opens up your life. Now, I'm not speaking hyper-grace here, by the way. That's another story. The environment of his grace, but grow in grace. Did you notice that scripture we read earlier? According to the riches of his grace according to not out of and you know the difference between according to and out of if I was a very wealthy man and you came to me and you were financially in trouble and you said David can you please help me I owe 5,000 pounds or they're going to take my house away and I haven't got any money and you say well I can help you brother there's a cheque for 500 pounds. Now you just need nine more people like me, and you've got your five grand. If I did that, I'd be giving out of my riches, not according to. But if you said to me, David, I'm in debt for 5,000. They're taking away my house. Can you help me? Yes, I can help you. There's a cheque for 5,000. That'll pay your debt. You can get, keep the roof over your head. But I know you're out of work. I know you're struggling. It's been a rough time. So here, there's another cheque for 50,000. See, I'm giving according to my riches now, not out of. Aren't you glad that God gave according to his riches, not out of? He didn't send an angel. He sent his only son. He sent the best that he had in heaven. The dearest he had, he sent. And that's the difference, isn't it? This is the glory of God's grace. Let me finish with this little poem. These older ones may remember this. Annie Johnson Flint wrote it. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength is failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun." His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. (laughs) That's the grace of God tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, where would we be tonight without your grace? We shudder to think. But we thank you for that moment when your light dawned in our hearts and we realized that we were lost, sinful and going to hell. But in your mercy and in your grace, you came to us and you shone your light in our hearts and Lord, we responded. So we thank you for that moment whenever you saved us and redeemed us and bought us to yourself. So we thank you for every day since You have given us your wonderful grace. And so here we stand tonight and here we sit tonight in your presence only by the grace of God. Freely given, undeserved, unmerited, could not pay for it. And yet, Lord, you lavished it upon each of us. So we are forever thankful tonight for your wonderful grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.